And we do thank you for today. I, I'm just thankful to be here in your church. We're thankful to have your word today. We're thankful that you speak to us. We're thankful that you, you came to this earth. Thankfully, you died just in a way that could save us from sin, in a way that could save us from the law. Thank you for that. We do pray you just show us something from your word today. Wherever we're at, God, I believe your word is living and active and sharper than double-edged sword. God, we pray you would do that to us today. God, it would be active in a way that we can respond to it, we can respond to you, and we can hear from you. Let's pray you speak through me and really speak through your word and redeem the short time we have here together. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. We'll have the passage up here on the screen. Hopefully it's clean enough to read. But here we are in Galatians 3, starting in verse 15 at the top there. It says, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it is ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises that were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. What I'm saying is this, the law which came 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness indeed would have been based on law. But scripture has set everyone up under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were in custody under law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now, and now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants heirs according to the promise. So again, the title today is just Blessing or Curse? Which will we live under? And this chapter just gives a, a roadmap of how to be included in God's blessing and lays out a little bit just what God's blessing was. And then it speaks in terms of why God gave the law, why he gave the commandments, and what role it had and directing us towards that blessing of God. 
So the first point on the screen we'll look into here is that God promised to bless Abraham and his descendants. Get back to the beginning in Genesis here. And it talks about in verse 16 in Galatians, but it says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. So we'll start by looking, what on earth is this talking about? What were these promises made to Abraham? And so God makes his first promise to Abraham as he's leaving his homeland right before he gets up to go um, journey towards the promised land of Canaan. The next slide here, we'll look at Genesis 12, where God gives this first promise to Abram. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so shall be your blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then later in his life, um, we're not going to go through all his stories, but in time, right after God asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac, and then spares his son, testing if he was willing to, and stops him, in Genesis 22, God gives a second blessing on Abraham. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of the enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so in this original blessing in Genesis 12, there's some things God promises there. God promises the land of Canaan as part of that blessing. He promised to make Abraham into a great nation. He promised beyond that, that he would bless those who blessed Abraham and curse those who cursed him. And then he even said through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed somehow through him, through his offspring, and through his seed. And Jesus Christ is that Messiah, as it's pointed out in Galatians 3, that would ultimately bring this blessing to the whole earth. So we read that God's going to bless Abraham a lot of times. If you're like me, sometimes I have to stop and think, what does that really mean? What does it mean to be in the blessing of God? Is that some churchy word we say or we see it in the Bible and it's lost its meaning? Or is that something quantifiable I can put my arms around it? What does it mean to be blessed? Right, it's a good Thanksgiving question. But I can tell you some things that that blessing of God involves and it involves in Abraham's life as we look at it. And the first area seemed to be gifts God would give, actual tangible things. And in Genesis 12 there, that plays out as the land of Canaan being given to Abraham as a blessing. It's like an inheritance. In human terms, we write out a will and give a house on to our offspring. Um, but in Genesis, God, who's the owner and creator of the whole world, gives a land of Canaan to Abraham. 
He gives them that land as his inheritance. And it's described as a good land, later flowing with milk and honey that they would go into. And that land would be present-day Israel that they control today. It was given to him and his descendants. So the second area seems to be a prosperity that comes. A blessing of God is poured out that Abraham will become a great nation. A great nation implies multiplying offspring, financial blessing, a blessing of status to go from a man and his wife and his brothers and their offspring and his son to a nation. Part of that blessing also seems to be approval, that God would approve him, God would accept him. And he was the God that would pour out that blessing on Abraham. Part of that blessing also seemed to be relationship with God. Being in the blessing was being in relationship and knowing God. James 2.12 refers to Abraham as a friend of God. And that's a profound statement that he could have a friendship with a God of the universe. A God of the universe who later you had to go into the temple and offer all these sacrifices to once a year get into the Holy of Holies to be close to God. That God would say he's a friend of Abraham in relationship. The end of his life in Genesis 24, 1 is written of him. Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. He had all the worldly blessings that could have been poured out in God. And it all gone his way, and it all come in to go from that man to a family and a nation. But that blessing somehow indicated even that that acceptance and relationship would continue on into heaven for eternity. In Hebrews, it is written of him in 11, uh, verse 8 through 11, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, Canaan, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs in that same promise. For he was looking for the city in which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We draw two things here. One is that the blessing would be somehow passed on to his heirs, his physical children and grandchildren is listed there. And you see that in the scripture in Genesis 24. But the second is that somehow that blessing on him and that inheritance extended into an eternal blessing. As he waited to go into heaven, or as it said, the city whose architect and builder is God. And he had a strong faith that even though God had abundantly blessed him in all these ways in his life, with the servants and land and relationships and stature and family and the nation, that his full inheritance involved an eternal inheritance and a relationship that extended with God into heaven. And his heirs would also share in that promise. And they would have that favor and blessing. And as it said in Genesis there, eventually all the nations of the earth would come to participate in that blessing through his seed, which is Jesus Christ. So his, so his children and, and grandsons, so Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, also Israel, and Jacob received the blessing of his father, even though he was the younger, if you look through Genesis, and Jacob received this blessing of the Lord in Genesis 35, I don't think I have it on a slide, but that's where this 
blessing goes down. In Genesis 35, verse 9, it says, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Paddan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. And so the blessing goes to Jacob's descendants, who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so God's blessing is on Israel. So fast forward a few hundred years now to the time of Moses. And over time, this nation of Israel, the tribes that came out of Jacob, their hearts had turned. They had idols. They had sin. They had hearts that were far from God. And they were banking on the fact that that blessing going down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob extended to them from being in that nation. And God wasn't pleased with that. And so God responded by putting the whole world under the law. He gave them the Ten Commandments and followed the other roughly 600 laws of the Old Testament. He put them under the law. Uh, Back up a little bit. So the next point on the screen is that God puts the whole world under the law to show us our sinfulness. Maybe one more back. There it is. And that included the nation of Israel, the Gentiles, and the rest of the world. The whole world was under the law. Between Galatians 3 and other places in the Bible we look at, God's intention of using Israel, I'm sorry, and for Israel and for everyone was to use the law to reveal our sinfulness and our sinfulness is exposed. So there's this verse here where the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that by the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. For before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may become justified by faith. So the world needed the law to somehow show them their sinfulness. And the Bible backs this up. In Proverbs 16.2, it says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. We naturally think we're all clean and pure and righteous and blessed and in that blessing of God. But Proverbs 21.2 echoes that. It says, every man's way is right in his own eyes, by his own standard. We judge ourselves by our own standard and find ourselves righteous. And that's where the word self-righteous comes from. Righteous by our own standards. But we all think we're pretty good people by that standard. We know someone worse than us. We tend to think in the end, it's going to be okay. We're going to go to heaven. I'm doing more good than bad. Last week, Tim showed that whole image of the scale. Of we just kind of think it's more good works than bad, and it's tipping back and forth, and you just got to nudge it up with a little more good works. That tends to be our standard. And then God brings his law from heaven written on stone tablets given to Moses. And he says the new measuring stick is not your own standard, your own righteousness. It's the law. It's like a mirror. When we wake up in the morning, I wake up early for work, and I'm still a little hazy before six there. 
and I kind of stumble into the bathroom. I don't think I ever realized quite how bad I look. I think uh, I get out of bed, I think I could just go to work if I hit snooze a few more times and skip the shower. But when I look in the mirror, it says something different. It says you didn't quite totally get all of dinner off your face last night, and your eyes are crusty, you're sleeping, and you haven't shaved, so it looks like you kind of had a rough night. You can't really go in the morning and skip that and go to work. It doesn't look so hot. So when I look in the mirror, I know, ooh, even though I thought I was okay to roll out the door, I need to hit the shower and shave and wash my face and brush my teeth and then go to work. The mirror shows me my true state. I might have believed that I was fine to head out the door, but the mirror tells me differently. It doesn't, it doesn't lie. And the Bible says in James 1 that the Word of God acts as a mirror to us spiritually. That it tells us our need spiritually to shave and wash our face. And so I want to just put some of God's law. I think he put it there that we look at it and see this mirror. And that's the standard God says will be judged. Did we uphold the law? Did we not? When God put the law there. So I just have the Ten Commandments up on the screen. And we're going to look through them together as a mirror into our state before God. The first says, you shall have no other gods before me. So you just ask, have you ever put something ahead of God in your life? Like me, I've done that plenty. I did that for years at times. Second says, you shall make, you shall not make idols. Have you ever worshipped something that wasn't God? Whether it was a person, a statue, or a philosophy, or a thing, or money. I have. Oh, for two. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Have you ever used God's name in a curse word to express disgust? Using, oh my, something, just to express disgust at something, or the name of Jesus in a way that's not honoring to him, but dishonoring. I have before. And it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Have you always kept a rest day and honored God in it? I haven't. Honor your father and mother. Have you always honored mom and dad? Including things like never talking back when you were a teenager or never speaking poorly of them. I think my whole teenage years is a giant no on that one. Like me. It says you shall not murder. So have you ever murdered someone? And hopefully most of you are excited that you got one right. <laughs> Otherwise, you might have bigger issues. But Jesus said... If you hate your brother, it's like committing murder in your heart because it's the seed of that action happening. So I even look at having committed murder and get up to over five or so. And the next one says, you shall not commit adultery. Have you ever had sex outside of marriage? And Jesus took it a step farther and said, if you look at a woman in lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So even beyond just committing adultery, doing things like using pornography or going to an adult club or just looking at someone on the street in a sexual way violates that. You shall not steal. Have you ever stolen something, even if it was small? 
I can say I have. I remember going into a computer store when I was probably a young teenager and ripping a CD out of some kind of package and getting in my pocket and getting out the door. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Have you ever lied or misrepresented someone? Probably have this week. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard misrepresented someone bearing false witness. But I certainly have in my life. You shall not covet. Have you ever looked at something that wasn't yours? And not just thought, I want one like it. I also want that phone. But I want that phone you're holding. I have. I've, whether it was someone's house or car or phone or life, I've looked at someone else's life in a way that says, I want that instead of my own. If you're like me, I look at that and I've broken all ten. James 2.10 even says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point has become guilty of all. It's not a pass-fail test. It's not that scale of good versus bad. The question is, did you keep the Ten Commandments always perfectly? Even beyond that, those other 600 laws we didn't get into for sake of time. <laughs> and that is why the law is a curse to us. In Deuteronomy 28.15, it says, But it shall come about, if you do not obey the Lord your God, to observe to do all his commandments and statutes, which I start charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So the curse is that if we don't obey the law entirely and perfectly, we remain under that curse. And we were all sitting there, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God had a purpose in this. He leveled the playing field. There's a verse that says the law will stop every mouth from justifying itself. And we talked about that verse at the start of Proverbs 16, that every man is right in his own eyes. And God knew that and gave the law to all of us who are self-righteous or righteous in our own eyes. And the truth, though, is that we're all cursed equally for our sins. And the news gets even worse that just like that blessing of Abraham that extended to eternity, and he was looking at that hope for going to heaven and a new city in which God created, so the curse of the law extends to eternity. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. When we break the law, we get death. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says of those who are under the curse that they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Or frankly, they will be outside of the blessing of Abraham and that will go on eternally. And they'll be in that curse of the law, away from God for eternity in hell. But God is actually leading us up to something with this. He led the whole world up to something. He had this purpose in the law to bring us somewhere. Outside of being a church here, I work full-time for the courts. Um, so about once every year or two, I go and just sit out in court a day and just watch what happens. I do IT for them, so I make software. So it's, we use it as a learning activity just to see how things run. But I've noticed when that judge deals out a judgment to the defendant in the case after his, him or her has been found guilty, 
Um, their goal would always to bring a judgment that helps rehabilitate that person. For first events, they often start out small and give something just like a fine for community service, as it might be enough to scare them and turn them around. I had a friend in high school that got caught with marijuana in a school locker. I lived in Boulder, so there's probably more friends that I knew about that had that in their locker. But when he got caught, they, they arrested him and had the police come to the school, and he had to go to court, and he was found guilty. And they made him go out and do community service for a day which doesn't sound that bad, except that they made him go out and pick up trash and go help sort things at the dump or recycle center or whatever. And he went there for a day and had his papers to sign, and then they brought a busload of prisoners in the orange suits and shackles over there too. And they all kind of threw them all in together to do work for the day. And then he got to go home at night and all the prisoners went back and the same person signed off all his papers. Well, that scared him pretty thoroughly that he didn't want to do that again. And he didn't want to be one of the prisoners that didn't go home at night and had to wear the orange suit. And so he didn't get arrested again in high school. I don't know about after that, but if it kept up. But that judgment changed his life in a way that he saw he wanted to go somewhere else. But many people come back in again. Doing community service doesn't fix all the issues in their life. So next they'll often get jail time. And then there'll be systems of probation. And the goal of much of that is just to take away enough of their freedoms that they see a life they want. They see a righteous life of freedom, and they want it. They want to be able to work. They want to see their family. They want to sleep in their own bed at night. And the judge uses these sentences ultimately as a means to bring change in that person's life so they don't end up back in court a year later. And God uses the law in our life in the same way to push us towards something, to push us towards righteousness. In Galatians 3.24, God tells us the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Look, it's on the next slide there. Yeah. So the law silences our mouths and tutors or pushes us towards Christ. And once we understand that we're under that curse by our sins, it makes us more ready to come to God and say, what can I do to get out from under the curse? I, mean, I see I've fallen short of your standards. You probably, we probably could have just looked at three of the Ten Commandments and it was enough for me. And I've truly deserved the curse you placed on me. Lord, what can I do? And that verse says that God uses that law as a tutor for a very specific purpose, to bring us to Christ, to bring us to justification. Verse 22 reiterates this. It says, but the scripture, or the law, has shut everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so the law measured a Jew that was trying to keep all 600 laws and said, you fell short, you didn't make it. They measured a Gentile and said, you've broken God's laws. And they said, I don't know them. And God said, no, I wrote them on your conscience. I wrote the law so that every person would know what good and bad is and you would know how to obey. And you didn't even do that. The Greek, the Roman, the European, the American, even the Aborigine and the Jew, they all know the law of God inherently and broke it. 
Romans 3.23 reiterates this. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the law put the whole world under the same curse, headed for the same eternity away from God. And this is the problem of the curse for the whole world. So, next, it's like two verses in. No, we looked at the Lord. Somehow then it talks about the seed Jesus Christ is that seed of Abraham that can break the curse and bring the whole world into blessing. The next point on the screen there is that Christ fulfilled the promise to bless the whole earth through the seed. And there's a specific point in history when God came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to break that curse. God in the flesh. He was perfect in heaven from eternity past. He came down to earth on a very specific day in history and was born as a baby in a little stable in the hay. And then he died on a cross taking on the sins of the world. Galatians 3.13 said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree or a cross. And Christ willingly walked outside of the blessing that he was in for eternity with God the Father and the Holy Spirit and became that curse for us, the curse we had from under the law, separating himself from the Father and taking all the weight and consequences from our sin upon himself. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh on the cross, but being made alive in the Spirit. And after he died, three days later, he rose victoriously. The tomb which he laid was empty. He defeated death. He defeated the curse and went back into that blessing for eternity forward. He just took this gap in there away from God to pay for the penalty of the curse. And where that blessing extends to the whole world, as it says in Galatians, and it said in the promise in Genesis, is that we have an offer to join him in that blessing through Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will inherit the blessing by faith in Christ. And just as in, uh, in Galatians, verse 24 there, it said that that faith will justify us. In verse 26 it says, For all of you are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 29 it says that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. If we believe in Christ, it's an heirship. So that faith in Christ starts an adoption into the family. And through the death and victory of the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, we can be adopted into that lineage of the Abrahamic line of blessing. And the next chapter which we'll go into next week, is all about how we become heirs into that promise and what the implications of that if we believe. 
It talks about the amazing blessing it is to be an heir, to be a son or daughter in God's family, in that blessing. And so the blessing becomes a bookend around the curse. Our justification, our inclusion, our adoption, our redemption, ultimately the inclusion of the Jews and the Gentiles together into the same blessing through Jesus Christ. A blessing of the Spirit of God dwelling in us and a blessing that just like Abraham was looking to of an eternity in heaven with God. And so if you looked at the law today and it revealed that you have broken them and you're under that curse, Jesus extends an invitation to you to accept the work he did and to be included in that blessing of Abraham forever. And if you go home tonight, if you've never done this in the quiet of your room, just pray something like, God, I know I've broken your laws. And I know I'm included in that curse. But I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to become that curse on a tree, to take it on to take my sins. And I believe you did that work to include me and for my sins. Thank you for that gift of the blessing that you offer today. Amen. If you just go home and pray something like that in the quiet of your room, you will be included in the blessing forever. Revelation talks about the eternity of blessing for those with faith in Christ. Revelation 22.3 says that in heaven there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb will be in it. So the curse will be totally gone from heaven because only those under the blessing will be there. Those that have been adopted into the blessing through faith in Jesus Christ. And later in verse 7 of Revelation 22, Jesus says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. So those that accept the seed, Jesus Christ, will be blessed forever as they are included in his blessing, the blessing of Abraham. And for the Galatian church and for us, indeed, this is such a blessing. And in fact, it was so good that they just couldn't believe that that work of Christ completed it, that it did everything, that just the work of Christ on the cross would include them in that blessing forever. And many of them who had been good Jews, they'd been trying so hard to obey that law, to study it, to know it, to do it, to keep all the different um, regulations and commandments. And they had such a hard spirit of working and trying to earn God's favor. And then they became Christians and they're sitting in a church and they're still kind of trying to do that. And Tim talked about this group last week called the Judaizers. What they did was start with the gift of Christ and then add this teaching that that's good, but in conjunction to that work that Christ did, the people also needed to work for that blessing by obeying the law. They needed to be circumcised. They needed to obey all the ceremonial cleansing laws. Uh, It talks about a chapter or two earlier, that they wouldn't even eat with the Gentile brothers because they were not holding to the same laws of only eating certain things that were clean and skipping the things that were unclean. Just totally was outside of what they would do. So they'd eat at separate times. It wouldn't come together. They spoke to that. And we do the same thing. We feel ups and downs in our spiritual walk if we're obeying or not. I feel like if we sin, we have to somehow work hard to earn back the favor of God and be included in the blessing and the work that Christ did. 
We try to work hard in conjunction with the gift of Christ to get to heaven. You know, under the laws, there were steps that had to be taken to pay for sin. There were specific animals to be sacrificed by a certain thing. There was blood that needed to be shed. There was a time of uncleanliness, and they had to go outside of the camp and be apart from fellowship if they were unclean. And there was intervention of the priest that was needed to get that person back into good standing and cleanliness. And this system makes sense in our flesh still. And so as Christians, we just create versions of that same system to add on top of the work Christ did. And whether it was having people confess their sins to a priest and then maybe Christ's work would be there for you or having to pay penance. You know, I've seen people miss church on a Sunday now and then. They do. And sometimes when I follow up with them, it's because they're busy. But sometimes... If you really dive in deep, they had some sin in the week. And they thought, I can't go to church. Church is for the righteous. I need to take a week off and get it together and then go back to church. And so they'll take, take a week off until they feel better about things and work hard and then go back a week later. You won't find a verse that says to do that. But we add something we're trying to do to bring us back into the blessing of God. It's all our versions of being Judaizers, of saying you need the law on top of the work that Christ did. And the problem is none of these things are in the scriptures or part of Christ's economy. They're all man-made things that we try to add. We try to add back in the curse on top of the blessing. And so the last point up there is that faith in Jesus plus earning, standing by obeying the law is no faith. It's the curse. Whereas it's been stated in this series, Jesus plus the law equals nothing. It invalidates it. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. It's Jesus plus nothing that's the blessing. So I want to review just a few verses in chapter 2 and 3 where Paul spoke to the church on this topic. In Galatians 3, verse 2 and 3, it says, the only thing I want to find out from you, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun on the Spirit and now you are being perfected by the flesh? So they were redeemed by Christ, but then felt like their perfection or their making it to the end or their acceptance ultimately somehow was by being a good Christian and leading a good life by making it to church and giving money and whatever else, doing all those things that somehow made you a good Christian and perfected you. The problem is that there's only one way into that eternal blessing of Abraham, and that's by the work of Christ only, not by those things. In Galatians 3.21, Paul says, For if a law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would have been based on the law. Simply, if you could just work hard and be a good Christian and go to heaven, why did Christ come? There was no need. Just be a good person and go to heaven. But it didn't work that way. That, that only brought curse. That only brought death in which Christ needed to come. And in chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back Again, to the weak and worthless elemental things, or the law, to which you desire to be enslaved to all over again. 
You're like a slave. It's been set free, but the only life you know is slavery, so you just go back into it. I was thinking about the movie Shawshank Redemption. There's a lot of things in there. I won't show a clip, because I don't think you can show one with one show in church. I watched it a while ago, but I was remembering at the end of this movie, these guys were all in a prison on life sentences for various crimes. And and it kind of works through their things there, and then at the end, it has kind of how each of them respond as they finally get out of prison, various states of life. And the first one, think about is there's this old man named Brooks, and he's the he's the librarian. I, I even forget exactly what he did, but he'd been in prison most of his life since he was a young man, like teenager, 20s, and finally got out. And he was just a frail old man, and they finally let him out of prison. And he's confused, and he can't understand how to function out in life not being in prison, because it's the only life he's known for so long. And so they show him working at this grocery store trying to make groceries, and he lives in this little apartment in a halfway house close by. And he just says, it just hurts. His hands hurt trying to make groceries, and he doesn't understand life and the pace it goes at. And he says he contemplates creating another brutal crime like murder, just to get back into prison where he understands life and something he's used to. He says, I'm tired of being afraid all the time, so I decided not to stay. I doubt they'll kick up any fuss, not for an old crook like me. And then he enters his name in his apartment at the top of it, and he takes his life, because he couldn't understand this life of freedom. And then later, when the main character, Andy, he breaks out of jail, but you see him at the end on this beautiful beach and he has a drink in his hand and he's working on a boat. And it's just this picture of serenity, of being free, of having everything you'd want to have. And so there's this contrast there. But I think we kind of pick that first life. We have that first response to the freedom that Christ paid for. We're used to the law. We're used to having to work so hard to get there. And even though that that law, that working hard is a curse, and it's a prison that we are held under, it's what we know, it's what we're comfortable with. And we finally get out from under it, and it just doesn't make sense to our human logic, to our human systems. And we want to operate back in that economy that we had under the system of the law. So we want to give up our freedom and the blessing and go back under that curse which Christ paid with his life to get us out of. And again, in Galatians 3, 25 through 26, it says, Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're sons. We're in that blessing. The tutor has done its work to bring you out of the law and the curse into the blessing, and it's finished of its purpose on your life. So we, we can't try to add these human systems of the law back on top of it and willingly bring ourselves back into the curse. It's not just Jesus plus go to church or Jesus plus pay penance or tithe or whatever. Or Jesus plus clean living. But it's Jesus. It's his work. So I encourage you just to pray today and ask God, God, is there anything I'm trying to add on top of that? That's that work 
of the curse? Or am I really just trusting that you did that work on the cross for me? And if that's not something you've prayed to receive Christ and receive that blessing of Abraham in your life, I encourage you to think about that today. Um, be happy to talk to you about that if you haven't. I know Greg would. Others here. But think about that today and pray to God. So let's let's pray. Go forth living in blessing today. God, we do thank you. God, we thank you that we deserved the curse. God, I've done so many sins that I deserve the curse. I deserve hell. I deserve to be away from you. And it says it was while we were yet sinners, while we were all there, Christ died for us. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you knew we needed you to come die to redeem us. I pray you'd help us all rest in that blessing today that that's the only work that brings us to heaven. God, it's the only thing that brings us in that blessing. And we just thank you for that blessing today. We just thank you for the work you did. We thank you for this church. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.